All right. Well, it's so good to see all of you. How are you guys doing today? Good. Um, I just got back uh, yesterday. I, I left actually after church on Sunday uh, to Cannon Beach and uh, taught my first college course, uh, which is funny because I didn't go to college. Uh, so it was actually at a, a E. Cola Bible College. I taught through the book of Galatians and we had about 48 uh, first-year students uh, in the class and um, nine lectures and I even had to give my first test and you know what I realized about tests that was really helpful is I, I gave them an assignment to give me a one-page essay on the difference between law and gospel and uh, when I read through the test I, I was really impressed with the kids ability to uh, kind of bring what I had been sharing combined with what they already knew and give me a robust definition of gospel but many of them their definition of, of law or the purpose of the law was a little ambiguous and I realized oh that's on me the reason that it's not very clear is because I spent more time talking about gospel than I did about law um, and it was I'm like so I've decided I'm going to start giving you guys a test once a month so I know where I'm failing as a teacher. Uh, actually, that might be just simply too discouraging. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it, you know, it was a really, it was a really awesome, it was an awesome week. And it reminded me a lot of uh, why I enjoyed the first few years of Door of Hope so immensely. Not that I'm not enjoying it still, but there was, there was something about uh, just the intensity, the amount of time we spent together, the, the fact that it was a church basically filled with 18 to 25 year olds uh, and this kind of sort of reckless abandon of what kind of extreme things can we be doing to get to know Jesus better and to be more radical conduits of his grace to a city like Portland. And it was this, this understanding, you know, I was pushing back. There was a common thread in the church at the time, this belief that people are really busy and churches were kind of beginning to move toward this idea that they should be doing less and less together um, so that people would be more active in their community. Uh, but what I found and what I began to poke at is like, are people actually more active in their community for Jesus if they actually gather less together as believers? And, and my answer for that is no. Uh, and COVID has shown us that, <laughs> um, uh, that gathering, not gathering together does not make us more productive Christians. Uh, if anything, it begins to wear down um, our, uh, our recognition of how desperately we need one another to actually fulfill God's mission. Uh, I think it wears us down uh, in, in our efforts to be witnesses to a lost world because there is no such thing as a successful, isolated Christian. Um, actually, what brings out a picture of what Jesus is like is when a whole body of broken, sinful men and women who are now saints because we are in Christ come together. And it's that representation together that I think creates the greatest level of witness uh, to a lost world. So it's just got me, my, my wheels spinning on like, what are things that we can be doing to kind of move back toward a radical, a radical vulnerability, a radical grace, a radical expectancy um, uh, for Jesus to show up and do amazing things uh, in our city. And what can I do as a leader to, um, to 
participate and inspire you toward that kind of radical grace. And so one of the things um, we're going to be doing, this is 21 days. They say it takes 21 days uh, for, a, um, for a discipline to become a habit. Um, and so this 21 days, of, it's going to be 21 days of prayer, of worship, um, and of study. And I think that those, I mean, all of that is worship. When we sing songs together, when we study the word together, when we pray together, we are worshiping our king. Uh, and that's why it's going to be a 6 to 7.30. I want to create a little more space. It doesn't matter if you, if you have to leave early. Uh, I think there's something really powerful about rising early. Door of Hope has always done really extreme morning things because it's so, I, I think that it's one of the ways that we can say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Um, and so as we go through Matthew 7, uh, Matthew 7 is dealing with how should we as children of God uh, live out what, what he calls our acts of righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. How do we live it out? And so he's going to deal with prayer. And he's going to deal with fasting. He's going to deal with generosity and sacrifice. Uh, he's going to deal with anxiety and worry. And I think as we're going through those things, like when we talk about fasting for a few days, maybe we'll say, hey, let's fast for those of you who want to do it. Let's, let's go to the precipice and say, what, Jesus, can we do to be more surrendered to you? And so I really encourage you to come. I think it's going to be a really fruitful time. And then thinking forward, uh, it, this week of doing Galatians, I'm gonna, I've been kind of brainstorming about the idea of offering uh, one, one week a month where we do like, we do a, uh, you know, a, an intensive through maybe a short book of the Bible and invite in different, different teachers. I'm kind of playing with some ideas, but I'd love to hear from you guys. If you would just email me, josh at doorofhopepdx.org and let me know what are things that you feel would be helpful for you in your growth? Because just like the test, I want to know where you're at. I want to know what do you think's missing? What do you think's lacking? So I'm inviting, uh, you know, don't say I, I really have a hard time with your hair or your clogs are distracted. Like that's not helpful. But tell me, tell me what are things that you would love to see the church doing that maybe we're not doing right now? Um, and uh, because I, I want to I be doing more as much as possible to bring as much glory to Jesus as possible with the time that we have on this earth, which isn't that long. So uh, with that said, we're going to jump back into Romans. Uh, in, we're looking at verses 5 through 11 in chapter 6 today. And this is great following uh, after a, a week um, in Cannon Beach, um, just this, uh, this beautiful time spent thinking about the distinction between law and gospel, thinking about what does it actually mean to be uh, vehicles of God's grace. And I want to just begin with um, a, 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 an amazing quote um, from Bo Geertz. He is a he was a Lutheran minister, um, and he, he gives an awesome statement uh, on what is sin uh, in, uh, in his commentary on chapter 6. And I think that this is really helpful. He says, this tyrant, sin, is now set aside. He can continue with his claims. He can tempt, entice, torture, and hinder but he cannot make forgiveness go away. And neither can he pry us from Christ when we live in his kingdom. Now, 
What Geertz is playing on is something that Luther himself stated, and this is the great paradox of the Christian life. And one thing that I want us to avoid is this idea that Paul is driving us to moral perfectionism. Um, when we talk about the death of sin, being dead to sin and alive to Christ. Uh, that, is, that is simply not the case, nor is it even possible. Um, and to believe that is to actually fall into the trappings of actually going back to guilt and shame. Because when you recognize that I actually can't be perfect, uh, if you think that that's what you ought to be, you're gonna find yourself in, in really deep waters very quickly. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He knew that was an impossibility. What he is calling us to is a life that is identified or, or is a life that remains, abides in him, in Christ who is the sinless one. Our, our overcoming patterns of sin in our lives is not by are, are pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and beginning to climb a ladder toward moral perfectionism. Our ability to overcome sin is by recognizing that we are sinners and that in the flesh no good thing dwells and that as we surrender to Jesus, our victory over guilt, the guilt and shame that sin brings. That's what Jesus, Jesus conquered, what he brings into our lives is that sin cannot change God's forgiveness toward us. It can't change our position. It can't pry us out of his hands. And when we recognize that we are secure and safe in Jesus, it gives us the confidence, or I should say it compels us to begin to follow after him, surrendering our sinful bodies, recognizing that everything we do is mixture, to this powerful grace that we have in Jesus. And it's in, in that place of surrender that the sinless one can actually work in and through us in spite of the mixture. That's the power of the gospel. That's why Luther said, Jesus saved me from sin. Why didn't he save me from sinning? Because sin is a power that rules over us as soon as God does not rule over us. It is this reality, he who sins is a slave to sin, Jesus said. And it is that slavery that Christ has finally put an end to through his death. I like it that Robert Farrar Capone, one of my favorite thinkers on grace, said, if the world could have lived its way to salvation, it would have long ago. The fact is it can only die its way there, lose its way there. What an amazing reality, because Jesus didn't come to seek and save the found. He came to seek and save what? The lost. Uh, and I think that Capone is brilliantly playing on those words, that if you're lost, you're in a perfect place to be found because you're the one that Jesus has come from. And all of us were lost, dead in our sins and trespasses. And it is because of the fact that we were lost and dead that we became objects of God's pursuing love that Jesus is in the business of seeking and saving that which is lost and that all we have to offer him every day is our dead bodies and the good news is he seems to have this incredible knack for bringing dead things to life. And this is the beauty of the gospel. So let's look at these passages here. Romans chapter six, verses five through seven. It says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, and this is, remember last week, you're speaking of being baptized into the death of Christ. And baptism is an immersion into 
something. It's a positional reality that the old man, the old woman, when we put our faith in Christ, we are baptized into his death and we are resurrected into the newness of life. It's also what Jesus calls being born again, which is why we should not toss that phrase aside like it's some sort of bad American evangelical Christianese. No, it's a beautiful phrase that's biblical and comes out of the lips, comes from the lips of our Savior. To be born again means that, yes, I was born this way, broken, dead, but I, I can't use that as an excuse any longer because I have been born again. I have been given a new spirit, new, pow- new power, new presence, new purpose, all because I am now in Christ, alive in Christ, who is the firstborn over a new creation. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, and I love this, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. That old man, that old woman, that old nature is speaking to back to that picture. If you go back and read through chapter 5 we talk about the first Adam and we're looking at that fallen Adam that reappearing in every human ego as it comes under the dominion of self-love which is occasioned by that first sin I will define for myself what is right and what is wrong and and if we are told here that we are set free from sin then we have to ask ourselves the question what is killing you today what is bringing death to your bodies because there is a difference between a death that flows from sin and a good death which is the death to death the death to sin the baptism with Christ we can be crucified with Christ we can allow Jesus by the power of his spirit to bring resurrection life to our dead bodies and this is the good death it's dying each day to the lie of what God never intended for you so that you can come alive in the true reality of what you were intended to be under the power of the Spirit. But the fact is, is that we often choose things that continue to bring death, that bring, that kill us, that kill our witness, that kill our spirits. It's those, it is the, the, the willingness to continually resurrect that first Adam nature, the ego, the, the reality of self-love, the rebellion, as I often say, sin is a rebellion against God's rule and a rejection of his grace. It is a tyrant that wants us again and again to believe a lie that if we do what we want, we will be satisfied and fulfilled. But we know that's not true. We know that that is not a reality. I, you know, can I just confess like a little secret, like, pop song fascination right now I mean this is like legitimate like top 40 pop song smash hit right now uh have you guys heard that song by Justin Bieber <laughs> I hope you have uh called Lonely have you heard that song is, is it everyone's like no I haven't you sh- it's it's come on people it's a big song on TikTok where are you what are you guys missing out right now 
My kids told me, I can't stand that song. It's always on TikTok. I'm like, I don't have TikTok. I kind of like it. What I like about it actually is, is Justin's willingness to confess that every, he's like, everybody knows my name, but it doesn't make me feel better. Everybody looks at me because I have everything that everyone wants, except that all it's created for me is a glass house where I feel exposed. And he says, nobody actually cares about me. They just see my fame and what I have. And then he says, I'm so lonely. And then he kind of yodels the lonely chorus over and over again. But it's actually a really heartbreaking song lyrically if you can get past, if you're not a big pop person. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a very heartbreaking song because it gives us a picture of the, the things that our world puts value on and says, these are the things that will bring ultimate satisfaction to your life. The, these are the things that actually Jesus wants to set us free from because they're lies. And they're lies that don't bring satisfaction. Unbelievable wealth and fame and power and privilege is not the thing that brings satisfaction. It is the privilege that comes out of the wealth of salvation, Jesus' presence upon us. When, when, what really matters is when we recognize that we are royalty because we are in Christ. That we are given the blessing of being positionally treated as sons. And I don't say sons and daughters because all believers are viewed by the Father as those who are now in the Son. And the Son is the one who, remember, He is the Logos. He's the very one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. The Father spoke through the Son by the power of the Spirit, the Trinity bringing into reality that which was not. Out of nothing, God made everything. And you and I are the product of God's unbelievable power and creative um, beauty that flows out of a nature that is perfect love, a love that chooses to not exist without you. And there is nothing that brings satisfaction to the human heart the way that a restored relationship with the creator of the universe, which is the only means by which we can have restored relationship with one another, and then and only then can we begin to understand the enigma of what it means to be me. We're so obsessed with understanding ourselves that we never even get to the second reality of knowing others and probably will never graduate to the desire to know God because that's the order that the world tells us matters. Treat yourself well, love yourself well, know yourself, do what you can, grab life by the reins and become your own God. And then you can pick who you wanna be in relationship with because you don't need a God to tell you what to do. You are your own God. That is the lie of the world that brings death and it's what's killing us. Because even as followers of Jesus, we're still listening to that voice. And that's why we need to understand that you may be forgiven of sin and sin may have been conquered on the cross. And what was conquered for us at, who live in fallen worlds and fallen bodies with fallen minds, and this is why there is a civil war, as we'll see in Romans 7, raging inside of us, the, the, the war between the spirit and the flesh, that the only way that we will have victory over the flesh is when we realize that yes, I still sin, which is why we need to be a church of radical confession and vulnerability, because it's when we confess our brokenness that it no longer has power over us. It's when we confess our brokenness that we begin to find victory over it. 
I believe that the reason that so many Christians fall is because they live lives of duplicity, consistently presenting to the world what they believe to be the Christian ideal while secretly living a different life. It's what we see again and again in our Christian leaders, and that is the example that must be put to death once and for all, because what you need in your Christian leaders is not a false pretense or the perfect ideal. Jesus alone is the perfect ideal. What you need from the leaders is a radical vulnerability that says, I am broken. I am a sinner saved by grace. That's what makes me a saint. And it is that kind of radical confession and radical vulnerability where we begin to recognize that I have died. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. And so when we think now about what resurrection life is, it is a life of freedom, real freedom. Not freedom from the sense of the world because the freedom that the world calls us to grab a hold of is a lie first of all because no one is truly free not in the not in the sense of this idea I can do whatever I want whenever I want however I want that is a false freedom it's not even a reality for the average pagan anarchy is not a real idea because it can't actually exist because everything lives under parameters there are laws of the universe that you cannot violate without I mean, you can, but you can't, you can't control the outcome of those violations. You, you can't say, I can do whatever I want, like jump off this cliff and survive. <laughs> no, you, you can't because there's a law called gravity and it will make you smash upon the ground. And these are the things, you can't conquer death apart from the only one who has, which is Jesus. And so I think that these, these things are, are a false dichotomy, this idea of perceived freedom. And I think, too, we, we as Americans are really horrible about confusing our ideas that come from our nation around what freedom is, which is personal rights, which is why there's this massive war around masks and all of those things. Like, I have my own annoyances with masks because I don't like that they smash my beard because I'm vain. Um, and, and I don't like it because I've played rock and roll for so long I can't understand anyone when they're talking in a mask it makes me feel old because I just feel deaf I'm like I'm how many times do you say during the week am I the only person that goes excuse me I'm sorry what was that excuse me can you repeat that uh, like that's 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 my new reality it, they're new filler words it used to be like and um and now it's just excuse me I'm sorry come again <laughs> I've been trying to come up with creative ways to ask people to repeat themselves in a there's a whole plethora of phrases that one can use. It's amazing. Uh, but I, I think that, the, that the, the political wars is driven by these false ideas of freedom. The violation of our rights. I'm like, listen, we, we're, we're not truly a free people. Our freedoms are, are dependent upon actually parameters, laws. And when those laws are violated, uh, our freedoms fall apart and what it creates is chaos. And chaos isn't what we want, but we also need to know as Christians, our, our freedom is not derived from, uh, from the nation that we live in or the gifts that we have because of the nation we live in. Our freedom as Christians is not the freedom to do what we want. It is the freedom to begin to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is, means that it's the freedom to do what is right, which is to be a witness who is poured out for the good of King Jesus, that your life is no longer your own that you have a new master. And this is why we have to ask the question, is that what is killing you? Because the only thing that is, that, that when it comes to death that's healthy for us is what I call the good death. It's the daily surrender of our lives 
to King Jesus, presenting ourselves as what? Living sacrifices, which means that Jesus isn't asking from you this or that thing, this or that problem or habit. He's not wanting your good parts and your bad parts. He wants all of you. And he wants you to allow him the right to be responsible for you. If I have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. We have to consistently remind ourselves that our brokenness, our mixture, our sin cannot take the forgiveness of God away. It cannot snatch us out of Jesus' hand. And it's when we know that, that is when we become compelled by a life of gratitude thankfulness you want to know when you're in a dark place as a Christian when you're no longer thankful when you no longer realize what you have been saved from because you can't get close to Jesus without seeing how sinful you are anyone that thinks that I've been walking with Jesus so long that I don't even I don't even have sin anymore well no that would tell me that you're walking with another Jesus because Jesus is the light of the world and the moment you conquer one area of your life he just shows you another area that's problematic that's the beauty of the gospel and the sanctifying work of moving in increasing degrees of intimacy with Jesus so dead to sin means dead to the influence and love of sin Paul is referring not to a death to the power of sin but death to its guilt that is to our justification. Galatians 5.13, for you, brother, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty. Don't use the freedom you have in Jesus to what? Serve the flesh. God's end purpose is to free us from sin's tyranny. And I think that that is a beautiful thing that we have to remember again and again. So if we have been set free from sin, it is so that we can live in the power of Jesus' resurrection life. Resurrection is not just simply, simply something that happens to us after we die and are given the glorification or the new body because resurrection is not the same as resuscitation. Resurrection is something altogether new. It's more like the metamorphosis that you have of a butterfly. And if you guys know anything about butterflies, uh, the, the caterpillar's transformation into a butterfly is it's not a caterpillar that sprouts wings. It's a caterpillar that goes into its little cocoon and in that cocoon it literally disintegrates into a mass of green slime. You guys ever seen that? They, if you crack open a cocoon before the metamorphosis has occurred, it literally is just a pile of goo. The, the caterpillar dissolves into goo, living goo, that literally reorganizes itself and comes out an absolutely new creation that bears literally no resemblance to what was there before. But they did these fascinating studies. How does goo turn into this butterfly and it has no resemblance to what it once was, which was the caterpillar, but they did this test where they were shocking caterpillars. There's, I wonder if there's a group that's picketed against the torture of caterpillars. Um, <coughs> electrocuting caterpillars. And that to the point where that they would, they would scurry to the other side of the, the box when they, when, when they would go to, when pe they got familiar with this thing, this shocks us, we gotta get to the other side. After they became butterflies, the butterflies still carried within them the reality of what they once were because they were terrified of this, this thing. What a fascinating study and what a beautiful picture of the new life. There's still something of the old there. 
It's not like they lose their identities, but they become something new, something beautiful. And that is the reality of us. And so resurrection life is not just the simply the hope of a new resurrection body, which I'm excited to see um, what that is someday. And whoever has this hope in them purifies themselves just as he is pure. But it's actually the ability to enjoy the power of the resurrection life now, enjoying heaven on the way to heaven. And I think that this is the beauty of what it means to crucify ourselves each and every day. The legal death that Jesus died is the death to the penalty of sin. The moral death is the death to the power of sin. Uh, And I think that Jesus' sanctifying work in us happens when we as sinful creatures simply surrender ourselves each and every day. It's dying to our control, to our autonomy and coming alive to his leadership. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he says, follow me, and never says where he's going, which just makes life a big adventure. So, what's killing you? Is it the power of the gospel killing the lie of what God never intended? Or is what's killing you is you're still living according to the ways of the world and allowing the voices to tell you that life is about you controlling your own destiny? What about this question? What has dominion over you? In Romans 6, verses 8 through 9, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. One of my favorite um, poems ever uh, by Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, um, Death Shall Have No Dominion. Have you guys ever read that poem? It's fascinating. You should, you should read it. Actually, you should listen to him read it because he was an amazing. Uh, he was the only poet that became famous in, in America like a rock star because of his beautiful readings of his own poems. Uh, tragic man uh, because he kept choosing the wrong kind of death and that he was a raging alcoholic and died at 37 in New York from alcoholism. But he did leave behind an incredible body of poetry. And he utilizes this passage uh, to talk about the loss of his father. But I think that this, this idea is that death is the thing that often drives um, our culture. It's a fear of death. Um, and are we not living in a culture right now that seems to be driven by an absolute fear of death? But what are we told? That the, that the death that Christ died was the death of death itself. This is why we're told in Romans, oh, death, where, where, or excuse me, in Corinthians, oh, death, where now is your sting? It's, it's lost its sting because death for the believer is the very means by which we are ushered into new life. And the death that we die with Christ is what qualifies us for the life that he lived. If I could borrow from the words of Madrian Thomas, I love that. The life that he lived qualified him for the death that he died and the death that he died qualifies us now for the life that he lived. This is the power of the gospel. This is the transference, that replacement theology. Jesus stands in the gap and takes our guilt upon himself, living living a sin-free life, but now he who knew no sin becomes sin that he might take the judgment we deserve into himself so that we today, as we place our faith in him, can live in the power of his resurrection life. Death shall not have dominion over us. And this is why we as Christians cannot live under this, this 
ridiculous fear of an, of an unavoidable reality. The death rate continues to be and will continue to be one per person. And, it's, and yet our media, our world feeds on our fear of death. I, I think we feed on it. There's like this, this sickening desire. It's like the reason we slow down on freeways when there's a car wreck. It's like we are terrified of death, but we can't take our eyes off of it because it's the great unknown. It's the final chapter because we may know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the question that freaks us all out is, yeah, but what about that just the, mo- the cro- you know, the, the exit? That just seems a little scary to me, a little sketchy. And can the exit be pain-free? Is that possible? Lord, please take me in my sleep. I mean, there's just this long, we're, we're fearful of pain. I think honestly, what we're, what we're more afraid of is not so much death as we are, we're afraid of suffering. But to live in a fallen world, in fallen bodies, we need a robust theology of suffering. Jesus' freedom is not... Is, is, is a freedom that frees us from the need to be free from the difficulties of existence. That's a powerful reality that the gospel brings, is that I don't need to be free from the pain of existence because I know that my God is capable of weaving every dissonant note of my life into his redemptive story. And, and that creates a hopefulness and a calm confidence. And I like to say, Fear, uh, fearless, or excuse me, courage is not fearlessness. Courage is fear under control. That my love of Christ surpasses my fear of man or my fear of disease or my fear of this world. And someone was asking me recently, like, how did you deal with all the, the race stuff when, it, when all the riots were happening? And how are you not afraid to even talk? And I'm like, I just said I am determined to just keep Jesus at the center and preach the gospel address things as they come up and be willing to admit when you don't have the solutions but but don't sway the responsibility of the pastor is not to be a policymaker. the responsibility of the preacher is to herald the king that Jesus continues to be and will continue to be the answer to the dilemmas of human existence and that the dilemma of human existence is not this or that sin, the outworkings of sin. It is, it is a broken, wicked heart that needs replacement, not correction. And that comes through the gospel, an unwavering commitment to the gospel. And I was critiqued by some for saying too much and critiqued by others for not saying enough. And the bottom line is that the only thing that helps me get back up here every Sunday is that I love Jesus more than I fear people. It's not that I don't fear people. I just love Jesus more. And that's why we have to keep ourselves close to him, abiding in him, reminding ourselves what we have in him. This is the key to what it means to not allow death, the dominion of death, uh, to have power over our lives. Death is, our, is the means by which we are going to be ushered into more life. It is the servant of the child of God. And yet, I like this, what Luther says, why is this death grace? And he says, because it is the death of death, the sin of sin, 
the poison of poison and the imprisoning of imprisonment. In other words, he's like, you can still experience imprisonment. You can still experience poison. You can still experience sin. But Jesus, through the work of the cross, has actually gutted all of those things. It's like gutted the meaning. It can't change your position in Christ. Which is why he made that outrageous statement to Melanchthon, sin boldly. He wasn't saying go out and do whatever you want, be an adulterer. He's just saying there is no sin for the child of God that can snatch us out of the hand of God himself. Doesn't mean that sin can't make an absolute disaster of your life. And I would argue that real freedom that comes through the gospel is where there's the real possibility of making a mess of your freedom. (laughs) Because if there is only one way, it means there's a thousand ways to fall. (laughs) And I love what Gary Brashears has always said to me about Dorfo. He's like, because early days, I'm like, you know, I just trust that God is sovereign and he'll protect this church. He's like, yeah, great. But don't forget that you could make a big mess of that church. And I'm like, that's not helpful for me right now, Gary. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that this is the picture is that it is, it is in him. We, have, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, which means that it shall not have dominion over us either. The good death for us is the death to the lies that that death brings so that we can experience resurrection life. And then finally, we are dead to sin and alive to God. Look at verses 10 through 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is our standing in Christ. Now, our daily reality is that there are things that we struggle with. There's brokenness. There's, there's reality. I sped here, getting here. I'm breaking the law just to get here on time. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I wake up irritable. I, I find myself easily distracted. There's all these things, these little, these little things that still remind me that that old man is, has this unbelievable ability to resurrect from the dead, which is why I got to keep nailing him to the cross and leaving him there uh, so that I can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it, it's the recognition of what I am apart from Christ. And, and that's why McSh- Robert Murray McShane, the great Scottish revivalist preacher who died at 27 years old said, for every one look you take into your own heart, take 10 looks to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because we are called to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. And I would just ask you that question, what are you living for? Because this is, this is where life really flows out of and this answers the question, am I, am I alive in Christ? Because alive in Christ means surrendered to Christ. And that answers the question of what you're living for. And if you can't say what I'm living for is Jesus, then I would argue that you're a half, you're a half alive or a half dead Christian. And it's possible to be that. I think that the picture that we have in the Old Testament of what this is, and I talked about this last week, is, is the children of Israel. Too many Christians spend their lives, their existence, wandering in the wilderness when God's desire is not to just bring us out of the slavery of sin, but he wants to bring us into the victory of the saving life of Christ now. And instead, we, we have just enough faith to get out of hell, to get into heaven, but not enough faith to experience the saving life of Christ in this moment. 
that Jesus wants to take broken men and women, boys and girls like you and I, and he wants to utilize us in spite of ourselves to be conduits of his grace and his gospel. And it's not gonna be found by us sitting around like gazing into our own navels, wondering, you know, who's the most compatible with us now that we know all the ins and outs of Enneagram. That's not gonna save us. Besides, there's a better personality test now, the 16 personality test. I'm over Enneagram, I got a new one new self-discovery that isn't it funny that that's what the church has been reduced to is a place of 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 self-help it's not we're not the only help that I can give to myself is death so that I can come alive in Christ and live more fully for you which is the only thing that actually is going to bring me real satisfaction real happiness and I think that why are we why are we accommodating from the pulpit a self-centered culture we can't have Jesus and be self-worshippers and find ourselves free. If we are living for Christ, that means we are not living for ourselves. In fact, the freedom that we have is when we die to self and come alive in Jesus. And that's not about the eradication of our uniqueness. It means that our uniqueness is not the thing that we're focusing on. The thing we're focusing on is Jesus and others. And I love, I was thinking about this, Luisa's, I, I, it's hard to like just release someone that was such an important mentor to me and a dear friend and also such a great man of God. I just can't help but continue to reflect on his legacy. And I realized that he, he talked to me a lot about holiness and I was, I thought a lot about his, the key to his holiness. Like he really did seem to have this holiness about him and he would be the first to say, I'm not perfect, I'm not sin free, but it, I think that the key for him is that he just didn't spend that much time thinking about himself. I think he was too busy looking at the world through the eyes of Jesus as seeing every person as someone that Jesus loves and wants to save. I think that, that Luis was so busy serving Christ that he didn't have time to serve the flesh. And I think that sometimes, you know, we're, we're busy talking about how to, how to do better self-care. I'm like, I'm like, why are we so concerned about about preserving bodies that are going to die anyway. I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I buy it. I'm like, I, I'm like I'm, I'd rather die of an aneurysm at 52 knowing that I lived every moment for Jesus than live to 80 because I practice so much self-preservation. I don't, this doesn't make me, that doesn't excite me. I am like, you know, I don't really want to die of an aneurysm at 52 because that's, that's not that far away. Um, but, I, but I'm just saying, I'm like, I would rather live hard and fully for Jesus than, than I extend my life because I did so much to protect my little world. That's, that's not what I want. I want to live a life on the edge, risking everything for Jesus. And it's what I want for this church. And I believe it's what Jesus wants for us because the days are dark and Jesus is good and he is the only hope and the only answer and the only way to real life for this world. So, what is killing you? What has dominion over you? And what are you living for? And I pray that the gospel is the answer and the solution for you in your life today. May you know that it is I who have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Is that your reality? I pray it is. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel and its ability to bring transformation to our lives. We do pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would be a people that experience your power, your strength, your beauty, communion with you, dead to sin, alive in you. We're not free from sinfulness, but we are free from the guilt and shame. And because of that, we can come to you with gratitude and confess, Lord, we are broken people. But we know that when we surrender to you, you have the ability to purify us, to sanctify our lives as we walk with you, follow you, meditate upon you. And that in spite of our brokenness, you will continue to work in and through us. That sin cannot rob us of the forgiveness that is ours and in actuality. It cannot, it cannot snatch us out of your hands. The devil can lie all he wants. He can continue to tempt. He can continue to whisper lies. But as sin was defeated on the cross, so was the dominions of darkness. And so was this, so was the ways of this world. Thank you, Jesus, for your victory. As we look toward Good Friday and the work of the cross and Resurrection Sunday, may we see that the cross must continue to be our center. Thank you, Jesus, that you so love the world, that you died for us, that whoever believes in you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working out the salvation of humanity through your gracious movement of love, an elective love, a love that chooses to love sinners in their sin, a holy love, a love that's not willing to leave us there, a creative love, birthing within our hearts something that was not there before. If anyone be in Christ, all things are new. So we say together, Jesus is Lord. Say that with me, church. Jesus is Lord. Amen.